to People Like Us, a podcast for and about third culture kids everywhere. I'm Jen Mohindra. I'm also a TCK and I have a Facebook group for TCK adults called, unsurprisingly, People Like Us. Hello, and for today's episode of People Like Us, I'm delighted to have with me today as my guest, Dami Janide. Dami, hello, how are you? Thank you. I'm good, Jen. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. My pleasure. So, as always, I'm going to launch very quickly into the first question, which is, would you like to tell me about where you grew up? Okay, so I grew up around the world, but I was born in Nigeria and I moved, my mom was a diplomat. So as a result of that, we moved around a lot and it was always dependent on her work. So they would have her live in a country for four years and then go back to Nigeria for another four years in another country. So I grew up in Nigeria up until about six, seven, and we moved to a country called Niger Republic. So it's on the border, it shares a border with Nigeria and it's a French speaking country. And we went to an American um, international school. So it was mostly, everyone was like mostly diplomat kids going to that school. But so they spoke English at the school, but it was a French speaking country. Um, so I grew up a little bit in Niger for about like a year or two. And my, my dad, my mom and my dad were like, we're not, they're not doing well academically because it was such a huge transition. And also for me at that age, it was so um, hard. So they moved us back to Nigeria to boarding school. So I was in boarding school like around eight or nine and um, up until the age of 16. And then the old family moved to the UK, London for um, to finish school. So I finished my high school in the UK and then moved to the US and now I'm here in Canada. So that's a summary <laughs> of it. <laughs> that the short you version. wanted to add some, the short version, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah. Your first move, you were quite young at that point, going to a French-speaking country uh, mm -hmm. and an English-speaking international school. Obviously, you were quite young then, but but what were your memories? I mean, it must have been quite a quite a change for you. Yeah, it was a change. I, I think for me, the, the memories that I have of it was I used to we used to sing a lot at school. I don't know why, but we sang a lot. Maybe because we were young, but the school just had a lot of like events and concerts and I would still I still remember some of the songs that we would sing and would all perform it as an entire school like so each class would take like a chorus or a verse and we'll sing it together in unison so I remember that part I know the academic part it was just kind of like a blur but I know it was I wasn't performing the way I should have been performing well the way I was performing in Nigeria and my dad had like really high academic standards because he was a math professor so math and science were very important to him so um, when he would see the report and it was just a lot of it was just more of like the I think the cultural transition was what made it hard. And what he was trying to um to show was that my kids are smart, it's just the transition is so hard on them. So when he moved us to Nigeria, the school we went to in Nigeria, the curriculum was strong. So even at the age of eight, I had to know like the times table up until like seven or eight. And then, so when I moved to the UK, when I was 16, it wasn't even hard. It was just like, I knew a lot more than I should have known for people in my class because this, the curriculum was so rigorous. So growing up, um, I don't remember much. I just know that I was always with my siblings. My mom would go to work and my dad was um, around helping out with other things as well. 
but um yeah that's all i remember a lot of what i remember was like we had a lot of fun because i was i was i was seven i was six seven at that age so we would have like excursions and we would, like we had a camel once i know i rode a camel when i was six or seven um yeah it was a lot of fun stuff for me because i mean at that age i guess you don't really have to do too much yeah but um but even at that age my dad yeah <laughs> my dad still wanted us to perform like, academics was important because it's important in our family so that was a big thing for him so that's all i remember from you know niger sure sure and then when you went back to nigeria and you said going to boarding school still quite young how, how was that that was rough because <laughs> like even though the school was strong academically there was also the uh, the thing is we didn't actually realize we were being left and we won't see our parents for a while we just thought oh we're just going for a little bit and they'll be back <laughs> wow. and so in a way a lot of that has like like it's just recently that i've like you know the past couple of years i've been exploring that more to see the impact of that because going to boarding school gave me that i learned to detach emotionally at that young age because i had to because i didn't see my parents for a long time until mm. they would come to visit every two weeks and when I moved to the US on my own, my mom was in the UK. So when her tenure ended, she went back to, the whole family moved back with her to Nigeria. So I went on my own to the US when I was 19. So I've been living on my own since I was 19. So it's been over a decade now. Um, but people would ask me, oh my God, your family is in Nigeria. How are you able to survive and not be with them and not miss them? I'm like, I do miss them. I'm just kind of used to it right now. So I think because of that boarding school experience at such a young age, it allowed me to detach emotionally, mm -hmm. but then also now going back to it and trying to understand what happened back then, I see there was an emotional break there and I've been you know, building, rebuilding that over the years. And mm -hmm. um, also because I live on my own in Canada. So there's a lot of intentionality to connect, to connect and to go back home as often as possible. And um, yeah, but there was the being, being, at, being at school at that age, there was, you know, no parents were there. So you were you were taken care of by um, mistress. So they call them mistress. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like the person that heads the dorm and the whole kids. And the food was crappy. Um, there was intense discipline because obviously, you know, boarding school experience as well. And uh, but this, they were strong academically, but it was just it it was it was it was, a, it was a manageable experience basically. But it was just it was still hard. But it it also made me who I am as, as an adult right now, being able to be resilient. And there's nowhere in this world you can put me that I can survive and figure it out. Mm, that comes through loud and clear. How much it <laughs> yeah allowed you to be independent, having had that experience. Mm -hmm. and when you moved to UK and finished school there, yeah. what was that transition like for you? Because that must have been quite a big change again, going from Nigeria yeah. to the UK. The UK wasn't a big change as much because we had visited before. Uh -huh. And the only thing that I remember that I was worried about was how, um, you know, the whole cultural change again, like, would, would I be bullied? Would I have to deal with this? But when I got there, it was fine. But you know, at some point when I got bullied, I just told the, the teacher and she spoke to them and told them, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really have to deal with it too much. And also I noticed um, the UK was the, at least the that high school level, like going from um, year 10 to sixth form, there was always 
because they have like um you're in a class based on your performance so i don't know you, you probably know what i'm talking about so it's like the, the they have like special kids and those who mm, are smarter mm. and i think there was a level of respect that came with being one of the smartest kids Right. So that was my experience in the UK. So when I moved to the smartest kid class, obviously based on my education in Nigeria, and my dad also advocating for me because at first when I moved there, I was put in the lower class because I just assumed, okay, we don't even know where her level is because she just got here. And he said, no, she's one of the best in her school in Nigeria. And he came to advocate and said, no, move her to the top math class because she can do the calculus and the stats and everything. <laughs> so the UK kind of um, being in London was like it, it was it was a much more pleasant experience than I expected for going because I was able to thrive academically unlike when I was six seven in Niger that was much harder then but at that age I was still able to do well academically and also my parents were all there so we could all like we would get help from home like tutoring at home as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think there was a level of respect that came with being known as one of those smart kids and I, it wasn't much of an issue for me. And then when I moved to the US, it wasn't it wasn't as hard of a transition. It didn't feel like a transition, but the one that I noticed was harder was when I moved from the US to Canada in my mid twenties, oh. which oh, was like, unexpected. Cause I thought, well, they just share a border. It shouldn't be too difficult. <laughs> just another move, right? Right, it's just another move. You've been doing it for how many years right now? It's not a big deal, but it, it was actually, that was the one that I, I had to really, I created a YouTube video about it about homesickness because i was like why am i getting homesick i'm used to this right i should be used to this but then i, I had to realize that no homesickness can affect anybody at any time and i think the, moving from the us to canada because i was in the us for eight years went through my university my undergrad worked for a little bit went to business school i made my my, my a lot of my friends my close friends are there my network is there so i was actually planning to stay in the us and you know, focus. And then, you know, Trump became president and started saying the immigrants are taking our jobs. And I'm like, well, I'm here legally. I'm paying my taxes. I'm doing everything right. I'm not taking your jobs. So it just became really hard to stay longer to get a visa renewed. So mm -hmm. there was this mass migration from the US in like 2017, 2018. So I moved in 2018 to Canada uh, as a permanent resident. And I moved also because I was like, I don't want to move. My friends are all here. I've been building my life here. I had a nonprofit in the US as well too. So I had to leave all that behind and just move. So I'm in Canada right now. It's been two years that I'm living here and it's now my home. Like a lot of things are going well for me and I'm happy. And I'm like, America, get it together. What's wrong with you guys? Because now I'm outside looking in. <laughs> Would you so, go back? Not to stay. I would, I would just go to visit. Like my friends are there. So I would just go to visit, but I, I feel much safer here and I feel, yeah, I love my job here, but I, I would just want to keep this as my base because I feel like what I've been looking for all my life was stability and I just got tired of moving all the time. Mm. Like I just got tired, like I was just drained and people, when you meet people, they'll say, oh, you, you lived in all these countries, oh, I'm so jealous. I'm like, what are you jealous of? Do you know what, like, do you know what that has done to me mentally and emotionally? Like. But people assume it's just traveling. It's not traveling. I'm actually having to uproot my life and just and live in there. So it's not the same as traveling. So for me, that was a struggle because when I had to leave my friends behind and all those connections and everything that I'd built and moved to Canada, I, I for the first one year, I was just like, I hate it. I hate it here. I hate it here. I wanna leave. <laughs> Cause it took a while to transition. And my friend was like, yo, just homesick. That's what it is. Like it's, the reason why you're having all this emotion because I didn't even know it was homesickness because I was just like I just hate it it's taking so long to transition I can't stand it 
And I thought to myself, why would I be homesick? I should be, I've been doing this since I was seven, like I was six, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be struggling right now. But I had to face the reality that I was homesick and I left a lot behind it. I have to acknowledge that and just kind of like see it that way. So, but now going forward, my, I made my decision. This is my home now. And every, I'm just going to visit everywhere else from this base because I'm just tired of moving constantly because I know what it does. Oh, sure. So it sounds like you had um, someone very much in your camp sort of validating your feelings, saying, hey, mm -hmm. you're homesick. Did right. you know you were a TCK, a third culture kid at that time? I've heard it throughout. Like I, I kind of knew, I heard a little bit about it when I was in university in the US because I met other TCKs as well too from Korea that moved to school in the US. But I didn't really understand the depth of what they've went through. And it wasn't until I started exploring my own feelings and, um, you know, mental health. I started realizing that these people have these experiences because they've moved a lot. And what does that do to a child's psyche and becoming an adult and transitioning? And people just automatically will say things like, oh, you're so strong. I'm like, I don't think I am. I don't think that's what it is. Because <laughs> I mean, I have to be strong every time. Like, yes, I am strong, but there is a mental and emotional like reprogramming that I have to do on my own to just get through it. And people just look at it as like, ah, it's easy. You were able to just do that. Like, you're fine. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and, and do you find also that it's tiring having to explain when people try and, you know, just they don't do it on purpose, but you know, the way they kind of gloss over and say, oh, that sounds like such an exciting. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, no, it's not. I find it very tiring because they have this perspective that it must just, it must be so fun to travel, but I'm, it's not, this isn't travel. I'm living there. So it's a different experience because I have to like start a new, have new beginnings every single time. So if I was traveling, yeah, for fun, I'll be there for like a week or two weeks max and I'm back, <laughs> but it's not traveling. So yeah, that can get tiring because when they start saying, oh, I'm so jealous. I'm like, I don't think you really understand. So when I created the intro for my podcast that I just put out, I just explained what a TCK is. And I just talked about, this is the experience that you think, but this is actually what happens. And a lot of people messaged me and said, oh, wow, I didn't know that this was, this was what it was like. But that's what I'm trying to do also with my, my blog and my podcast to just share more stories about TCKs and my experience. So everyone doesn't just think, oh, someone actually once said it's humble bragging. I'm like, humble bragging? Are you serious? <laughs> I didn't yes, move because- old bragging line. Right. I'm like, it's not a brag. Maybe you're jealous, but that doesn't make it a brag. I was the one that went through the experience. And while I'm grateful, like it made me who I am right now, but like, I guess because people haven't had the opportunity to travel, and someone else has traveled, they look at it as like, oh, okay, you think you're all that or something. I'm like, I'm not bragging. I'm just, I'm literally just telling you my story. Like, it's not a it's, brag. It's just my story. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not bragging if it's true. If, if it's, it's true, exactly. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you, this is my life. This is what I've been through. And this is what I've, where I've had to have lived and moved many times. So yeah, that's how yes, I see it. It's, it's the, um, the classic TCK assumption you know that we've had a, a privileged life exactly mm -hmm. in some respects yes maybe but as you quite rightly say there's a whole other side to it as well that exactly whole challenges and benefits seesaw that that we live with mm -hmm. exactly so you say you've been in um, Canada for a couple of years now and that that's mm -hmm. like home now 
It yeah. asks you the, the classic dreaded question for TCK is where are you from? <laughs> to that. You know, it's actually funny. I was talking to one of my friends two weeks ago and I was telling her like, I, I was going to go to Nigeria, but I canceled my flight because of COVID and everything. And then she was like, so and then I said something along the lines of like, and then when I came back home and I kept talking and I was like, did I just say that? And then she was like, home? Like Toronto is home? <laughs> and I was normally, because we were trying to say, oh, Nigeria is home. Like Nigeria is home and everywhere else is home. But I just said it without even thinking. I just said, when I came back home, and the thing is, I did the exact same thing two, three years ago when I went to Nigeria. And then when I came back to Boston, I was like, oh, I'm home. And it was snowing, it was raining, and I, it was so cold. But I was just tired of the, the heat and the flight and everything. Because the thing is, like, when I'm, when I'm not in Nigeria, I'm, I'm it's a detachment of some sort. So when I come back here, it's like, now I can be myself. And now I can have my own space. Now I, I'm not going to have someone telling me, do this and do this, do it this way. So when I got here, I said, I'm home. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. <laughs> and that was me saying that about Boston. So when I had to leave that home, I moved to Canada. That was why it was such a big change. Like, I feel like I didn't fully register what it was until I started feeling the emotions. And I realized, oh, wow, this is actually a big deal. So the where are you from is a question. It's like, I just say I'm originally born in Nigeria, but I'm from around the world. I've moved around the world. That's just how I say it. So mm. home is everywhere and nowhere. Yes. So what, what makes a place home for you? I feel it's more of a feeling. It's a feeling of acceptance and where you can really be your authentic self. Because mm -hmm. when I go to Nigeria, I struggle sometimes with like, the culture not because I don't understand the culture but because my values don't align with the culture anymore so when I go to Nigeria I, I ask a lot of questions I'm like oh why is this why is that why and they, and I didn't if you know Nigerian culture they don't like you asking questions it's, it's considered disrespectful yeah. so it's just just do what I said don't ask me questions <laughs> like why I'm not going to just do what you like I need to understand and then you get yelled at so that happens or just like things like my space, my boundaries. It's a very, it's a collectivist society. So you being too individualistic doesn't help <laughs> when you're there. So my dad would always tell me, you have to learn, know when to adapt. Like you need to know when to switch. So it's always trying, like, it's not like I don't remember to switch. It's also like, I don't want to switch because I just don't agree with it because it's just toxic and it's this. And, and, I, and I get that it works. Like if you were willing to like put your head down and just like, okay, I can tolerate it. Well, because of, you know, because who I am right now, I'm independent and I'm also, I also understand that, yeah, like mental health is important and if something is not right, it's just not right, not because it's our culture and this is how we do things. So mm. I struggle in that, I struggle in that sense. And that's partly why sometimes I feel like it's not home home, but it's home because my family's there. Like my mom is still there. And if a couple of my siblings are still there, and I love the culture, I love the food, I love the language, I love the people, but I just don't agree with some parts. And then also being here in the West, there are some parts that I don't agree with too. So it's that, it's that crisis of, okay, 
where do I, <laughs> I don't really fit anywhere. I mean, I, I fit more here because my values have been shaped around this culture, but it's sort of like figure, figuring out how to make it work wherever you go. Mm. And yeah, so like home is, it's a feeling, but I feel like it also comes and goes too. So on the flip side of that then, where would you say you feel the most foreign? Nigeria, <laughs> surprisingly. Foreign <laughs> at the same time. I guess Nigeria, because I'm always like, I'm not going to be in Nigeria for more than two weeks. I'm out. And they're like, oh, stay for a month. I'm like, no, it's not necessary. <laughs> Moving on from the places that you've lived then, we, we were talking just briefly prior to recording and mm -hmm. um, your, your TCK upbringing, how has that influenced your career? I've never actually thought about it that way, but it has in a way. So initially I wanted to become a medical doctor. That was my choice. And I remember my dad asking me I think when I was, um, before I finished high school in London, when I was in sixth form saying, are you sure you want to do it? I said, yeah, I could do it. Like I like math and I like science and I'm doing well in it. So sure, why not? And the reason also was because that was all I knew. Because in Nigeria, it's your doctor, your lawyer, engineer, like this, this is top three jobs. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what is considered proud achievement. And if your child becomes a doctor, it's a big deal. Like the whole community is like, ah, the doctor, the, the parents with the doctor, the doctor has their kid, it's, it's a big thing. So when I went to the US, I was pre-med. Um, my concentration was in pre-medicine and I was majoring in biology, trying to go become a med medical doctor. But then I went to a liberal arts university. So they exposed you to everything. So I got exposed to like other classes. I started taking economics and I loved it. I was like, oh, I really want to learn more about this. So I, I took it up as a minor and I minor in economics. And that exposed me to other things. So my parents were not very picky when it came to what I wanted to do. They were open-minded and allowed me to be whatever. So my senior year of college, I got into this entrepreneurship competition just to like, you know, I was just doing it for the sake of like, oh, let's just see how this goes for, this, for, for fun. So when my friends convinced me, let's sign up and do this thing. I said, okay, sure, let's do it. But you know, I'm going to medical school and I'm planning for medical school. I won't be able to focus on this. So I said, well, let's just do it. So we put it, we signed up and put our names in. And then we got accepted and she halfway was like, oh, I, I have a lot going on with school. I can't focus on this. I have to drop out. So I said, what do you mean? You can't just drop out. Like we just, you know, we committed to this. So after she dropped she <laughs> after, she, after she signed me up, right? <laughs> and the thing is like, when I sign up for something, I have to follow through. So like, it's just my nature. Like I just follow through, I keep my word. So I found, so they told me you can't compete unless you find a partner. So I reached out to one of my friends in a, in a different state and say, can I have a virtual partner? And they said, yeah, you can have a virtual partner. So she signed up as paper as my partner. But I was one doing the pitch and doing everything and doing all of that. So my idea initially was, um, it was around the, you know, it was in medicine. And when I started talking to people in Nigeria, doctors in Nigeria, interviewing them on the phone, they told me, if you want to make impact, go into sexual health. So I started crafting my message around sexual health and trying to educate people around sexual health. So South Africa has the number one highest um, incidences of HIV in the world and Nigeria is number two. And there's always this, there's a stigmatization and then there's the lack of equipment. So if you have quality medical um, equipment and um, medicine, it's really at the private hospitals and it's super expensive. So my target audience was young people. So a lot of what I was doing was education and social media. So I crafted my message around that. 
And then I pitched this, went through the semifinal, went through the final, and then I ended up winning the competition. And then they gave me money. And I was like, now you have to start a nonprofit. I was like, wait, but I'm going to medical school. This is, this is a distraction. <laughs> really? So I got into it. So I had this money. So everyone is looking at me like the entire school is like, well, you're, now you want, go, let's see what you're going to do. So I had to, you know, go ahead. And I was working my, my first job. I was working in a lab in Boston and I was working, doing the nonprofit at the same time. My boss was really supportive of what I was doing because it was also women's health. We were working in the lab, running experiments on um, STDs and things like that. So when I started doing more of public health, I liked it more. And I was like, oh, I really don't want to go to medical school <laughs> anymore. Like I want to do this. And also like just understanding the lifestyle of a doctor. I didn't want that kind of lifestyle. So I ended up telling my parents, I don't want to do this anymore. And they were like, okay. And then a week later, my dad was like, I'm not really happy that you changed your mind. You, we already told people that you wanted to be a doctor. And I said, well, tell them I don't want to anymore. <laughs> so I had to explain to him, this is my reasoning as to why I want to do it. And my strengths are in this area and I want to explore that more. So my parents were very supportive, but because I had the exposure to, had my parents who were supportive and open-minded. And because I also had the exposure um, in the US, just kind of like, basically um, encourage you to like try out things. So from trying out public health and going to run a nonprofit of my own and seeing other things, I went to business school, the medical school, like which is like complete different shift. And people would ask me, are you confused? What are you trying to do? I'm like, no, I'm not confused. Like I'm trying to merge healthcare and business and make it work together. And when I go to an interview, they'll tell me, your resume looks all medical. Like, are you trying to go back to medical school? I'm like, no, I'm not trying to go back to medical school. So the people will get confused and constantly ask me like, are you confused? So, which is also what I was telling you about the fashion line, the taloje, mm -hmm. there was also that identity crisis of the career. Like everybody had an idea of like, you said you're gonna be a doctor. Why are you changing right now? Just stay where we, you said you're gonna stay. And I'm like, no, I wanna explore and see where this takes me. So eventually now I work as a business analyst, which is a role that allows me to work. It's a healthcare, well, it's a marketing agency, but they work in the clients of healthcare, um, pharmaceutical clients in the US and in, and in Canada. And I work in a tech role. Mm -hmm. So basically I'm combining the healthcare background that I have, the business that I have, the MBA and in tech. And I told them, well, you see, it's possible. I wasn't confused. I knew what I was doing. So I think because the way I was um, raised, my family my, and my training in the US, they've allowed me to just be bold enough to just try out things and explore on my own. And I think having a nonprofit to run on my own was a good way to experiment and see what do I really enjoy and what don't I enjoy? And oh, I feel that, that TCK part kind of like helps in a way to just like, just let me go and do whatever I want to do. And your fashion brand, you mentioned identity in there. Tell me, tell me a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the fashion brand is called Taloje, T-A-L-O-J-E. And it's, it's a Yoruba word, which is my language in, in Nigeria. And it means, who are you? And I chose that because I felt like there's a lot that goes on with that because People were initially telling me, oh, pick a Western name. Like people won't connect with it. Like, why would you be like a local Nigerian name? And I said, well, what's wrong with it? Like, so there's this idea of like, it's African, it's uncivilized. It's just not gonna be cool. And I said, no, I'm trying. The reason why I'm intentionally wanting to choose an African name is because I wanna show you that it is cool to be African and who I am as a person. I'm a lot of things. I'm not just one thing. So like I'm choosing an African name in a Western society so that then they have to ask questions about what does that mean? Tell me more about your culture. And then also, even the way that I picked my models, 
and it's it's everybody. It's not just like the, the outfits are African prints, but it's it's cut to Western style. So it's like what you would see on like a normal store in the West, but it's less fabric and it's a particular cut that you know that anyone will wear, even a white person would wear it. And I also understand that there's that bridge of appropriation that I have to also like, you know, you know, you know how it is in the US and Canada, like in the West, like this. Is that whole, can I wear this? Like a lot of my, my, my Caucasian friends have asked the same questions. Can I, is it okay if I wear this? Would someone call me out? And I said, no, it is okay. Because what I'm trying to share is that identity is fluid. It's not one thing. And people will try to put you in that box. And the reason why I wanted to share, because I'm like, this is living my entire life. Everyone's been trying to put me in a box. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> yeah, trying to break out of boxes. So well. <laughs> exactly. And I'm trying to break out of boxes because everyone is trying to put me in a box. And I'm like, can I just explore it? Like explore my career, explore my identity, decide who I want to be friends with, as opposed to who you think I should be friends with. And that's basically what I'm trying to capture with the fashion line to have, to start conversations around identity and get people who were not black to be curious about African culture and also get them to be part of the celebration. Because the way I think about it, so I, I'm, I'm a very big fan of Bollywood culture, like Indian culture. And my best friend is, yeah, you are? <laughs> yeah. So my best friend is also Indian. And whenever I go to their place, I celebrate holy with them. They put me in their outfit, they give me a whole sari. They love the fact that I'm into their culture. They don't tell me what's wrong with you. Like, how dare you? They don't tell me that. And also when, if you were to go to Nigeria, one of the first things they want to do is put you in an African attire. Like they would want to sew one and take it to Kayla because they're looking, and they're looking at you and thinking, she's not dressed properly, let's fix this right now. Let's just fix this. So they would want to put you there. And I, I also see that in the West, it's fully different. They don't want you wearing that because they're like, how dare you? There's the culture, you know what I mean? There's the culture, oh, you know what I mean? So a lot of what I'm trying to do is bridge that gap and not just necessarily bridge a gap, it's basically just tell my story because Yes, my story might be different from the next Black person's story, but that's the whole point. Blackness is not a monolith and everybody's not the same. We're all different and we all have different stories. And I think because my TCK stories has moved me around and I have all these experiences, I want to tell the story from that angle and that lens because I feel like it should be told just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it shouldn't be told. So that's basically it. <laughs> Brilliant. Sounds like you're doing a fantastic job of weaving together all the different layers of your, your TCK upbringing. Yeah, I'm trying. It's been really hard. <laughs> As always, the um, the 30 minutes has just whizzed by. Whizzed by quickly. <laughs> I would like to thank you for your time. Thank you so much. <laughs> and to wish you all the best with your fashion brand. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks so much. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for listening to People Like Us. If you'd like to join an online community full of people like us, hop over to Facebook and search for people like us. You'll find my group and you're very welcome to join us.